started a new series a couple of weeks ago, and we're going through uh, the book of Ruth. We've been in the book of Judges for 16 weeks, and now we've changed, and we're in the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth is a book that is in the center of the book of Judges, as we mentioned uh, the last couple of weeks, and we'll probably mention it every single week, because that is why, that's the importance of the book. That is the understanding of the book. In fact, you don't understand Ruth until you find out that's in the middle of Judges. And the reason why that is so important is because the book of Judges is 300 years of the worst time for God's people, the nation of Israel, a horrific time. And as a result of it being a horrific time, he sends deliverers. God sends deliverers, multiple deliverers. But as a process, the deliverers don't work. It's not working. I mean, you send the strongest man in the world and it's not, it's not working. You send somebody like Gideon who carries strength and faith and it's still not, it didn't, it didn't work. And what the book of Ruth is, is a book of Ruth is the answer of what works in a nation that is struggling. It's the answer of what works in a country that is struggling. In fact, in the book of Ruth, you get, you get all the answers. What do you mean you get all the answers? Well, the strongest man in the world is not going to save you. It takes a God to save you. And that's exactly what the book of Ruth is about. Exactly what the book of Ruth is about, because what takes place is you get this love story, and in the process of this love story, you get the very end of it, and there's a baby. And as a result of that baby, where does that baby point? It points to this guy named King David. And then all of a sudden you see a bloodline that goes all the way to what? To the Messiah, where there's a statement that this world is not going to be saved Unless the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, leaves heaven and comes down to earth to literally save it himself. And that's what the book of Ruth is about. Pointing right to Jesus, putting it right into a nation that is struggling, is lost, and the strongest man in the world cannot put that nation together. It takes a God, and that is it. When you look at the book of Ruth, it's there's no miracles that take place. I mean, it's just, just a story, just a love story. There's no angelic visits that are happening at all. Um, there's no um, divine revelations that are happening. It's just, it's just a story that is happening. There's no audible voice of God spoken in the book of Ruth. In fact, you can look at the story of Ruth and say, you know, where is God in all of this? What is the book of Ruth about? It's about... Commitment and sacrifice. Commitment and sacrifice. If God is going to save a nation, whether way back then or here, what's it going to be on the topic of? It's going to be on the topic of commitment and sacrifice. That's why all the answers are in the book of Ruth. That is why it is the answer for the book of Judges and then points to the answer, which is Christ, for us today. In our country, commitment and sacrifice drives everything. Like, wait a second, there's, there's miracles that took place uh, during the time of Moses. And yeah, there are phenomenal miracles that happened during the time of Moses. And then all of a sudden, judges took place, and you see some miracles happening in regards to a, a man, in regards to conquering nations, and, and, and there's some activity. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's powerful activity that takes place, but there's no powerful activity in the book of Ruth. Why? Because it's talking about the time of salvation. 
It's talking about the time of salvation where only sacrifice and commitment carries the power. Points to David, and there's not a whole bunch of miracles there either. In fact, there's a man, yeah, he killed Goliath, as we're looking at pointing to Jesus, but there's not a lot of miracles that are taking place. But you see sacrifice and commitment in regards to David. And you see a lot of hurt, and you see a lot of pain, and all of a sudden with this hurt and pain, he starts to put that hurt and pain on paper, and then all of a sudden we get the book of Psalms, which is coming from the heart of God to an individual that's struggling on a planet, but yet has sacrifice and commitment to carry it through all the way to Jesus. But when we get to Jesus, like, praise God, we finally see some miracles. The world is going to change because Jesus is performing miracles like you would never believe. And wow, he did. A man attested to you by God, by signs and wonders and glory. There is your answer. There is God. But then the thieves came to arrest him. It's time for salvation to take place. Thieves came and arrest him. Jesus said, no. What did, he, what did he say? He says, I could call legions of angels to save me right now. You want to see a miracle? I could drop the sky right now. But you don't see that. You see what? Sacrifice and commitment. Why? Because it's time for salvation. And then when he's hanging on the cross, what do you see everybody yelling? Come on. You said you could destroy the temple in three days and raise it up again. <laughs> You're a fool. Give us a miracle. Give us a sign. Give us a wonder. But he's not doing a miracle. He's not doing a sign. He's not doing a wonder. He is saving the world with what? Sacrifice and commitment. All the way through to what? Till death. All the way through to death. And they put him in the grave. And in the process of death, the temple veil was was torn. Completely split. That's a miracle. But he wasn't there. He was dead. A miracle, boom, all of a sudden happened. He went to the grave. He rose again three days later. Who rose him from the dead? It says the Spirit of God rose him from the dead. You see what's taking place is the Trinity is looking at the sacrifice and commitment and saying this is the answer to salvation. This is the answer to salvation. We start thinking about, you know, a revival. A revival taking place. What is going to be on the hems of revival? The hems of revival is what? Sacrifice? And commitment if salvation is going to take place. Sacrifice and commitment if salvation is going to take place. Jesus died. Jesus rose. We are saved as a result of believing that. And as it is on our lips, we're not saying the message, hey, I met a man 2,000 years ago. It did a lot of miracles. It was awesome. He did miracle after miracle after miracle. You should like him. No, you're saying, met a man. Who is God, who laid down his life so you can live. He's alive in me, and he can be alive in you today. He had, God has now transferred sacrifice and commitment. Where? He's transferred it to us. <laughs> he says, I did it for you. Now you do it for them. That is the power of the book of Ruth. Because what you do, you see the heartbeat of sacrifice and commitment. Just to give you the fast story of Ruth before we get to just a single passage that we're going to work through today. We're just going to work through just one passage. That's going to be the meat of the entire service. But uh, the story comes from Naomi and Elimelech. 
They moved out of the country of Israel and they went to, they went to the country of Moab. And I will tell you, trial after trial after trial after trial happened in Moab, where Naomi lost her husband and she had two sons who married Moabite ladies. And you're really not even supposed to marry Moabite ladies, but their son, her sons did anyway. And as they married Moabite ladies, it's a struggle probably even for Naomi. They married Moabite ladies, Moabite ladies. Um, both her sons ended up dying. So now there's only three ladies, Naomi and then her two daughters-in-laws, Orpah and then Ruth. And after she found out that she has nobody except her two daughter-in-laws, she's like, there is no future here at all. And then she heard word that God has visited his people back in Judah. So she says, I am going to be exiting Moab and going to Judah. And it's just given that Naomi and Ruth go with her. So she's walking about a 550-mile walk to Judah. And she's walking towards Judah. She's thinking, I'm walking to a dead-end street. I have no husband. I have no children. It means I have no retirement. It means I have no income. It means that every, anything I have is because people pitied me. That's it. Anything I have when I walk back to this country is because they pitied me. She probably appreciates. In fact, I would say that she does appreciate the two girls that are coming behind her. Why? Because then they can pity her, them, to maybe help her out a little bit. They're going to the scraps on the table. But Naomi turns around and says, don't do this. Let me go to the ugliness of life. You turn around. And as you turn around, you go find your life back there. You go to your people and you go to... Your gods. What did she just say? You go to your people and your gods and make my God bless you as you do that. Your people, your God, and do you know what you get? You get money, you get wealth, you get retirement, you get everything that you've ever dreamed with. If you go to your people and your gods, because God is making me go back to my country empty-handed. Ruth saw that love and saw that commitment from Naomi. And after Orpah left, Naomi makes... A response. And what is this response? It is this. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and worse, if anything, but death parts me from you. Now, she didn't know that she just um, spit out <laughs> probably the most powerful passage on the planet right now. I mean, she just spit it out. Powerful passage. What I mean most powerful passage on the planet, what's the coolest thing in the world? It's to get married. You know, when you get married, you want to get the depth of words compiled together, and you want it where? You want it in your wedding ceremony. This is the one. This is the one everybody picks. This is the one that carries power because it meets every single emotional need that we can possibly see. If somebody said this to me, I would be moved. I'd be driven. I'd be sent towards the person that literally said it. She just spit out a most beautiful, not only passage that carries weight, but poem. Did the entire planet. Hebrew poetry is thrown out here. I want to look at this passage in kind of a different light. Because it is Hebrew poetry. And sometimes we can um, 
miss the large meaning when we do look at the Hebrew poetry. This is broken up into five different verses, just a, a block that takes place. The structure is called a, a chiasm, and a chiasm is Hebrew poetry where you have a repetition of ideas. This passage right here has two repetition of ideas. What I mean by that is number one, which is in the red, and number five go together. It's a repetition of ideas. The first one is an introductory command. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. And then number five, which go together, is a concluding oath. May the Lord do so to me and worse, if anything but death parts me from you. Introductory command, and then concludes it with a concluding oath. And then I want you to look at verse number two and verse number four. They also go together, and they're in blue. And what do you get? You get a repetition of verb pairs. For where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. And then you get where you die, I die. And there I will, what? Be buried. But what do you get in the middle of these five verses? You get the punch. You get the punchline. It's where you get the heart. It's where you get the drive. It's where you get the communicating power of what is going on with Naomi. And as you're getting this punchline, as you're getting this power, I want you to recognize that this line does not have any verbs. There's a whole bunch of verbs around. I will go, I will lodge, you lodge, I will die, I will, I will. All these are in the future. But this one does not have any verbs. And it's the large punchline. And what is it? Your God, my God. Your people, my people. So we can kind of lose the meaning when we look at it in a poetic form. But if we put this thing and take the poetry out of it, just take all the poetry out of it. Please leave it up on the passage. We want to leave it on the, leave it on the screen for a while. Just take the poetry out of it. If you take the poetry out of it, you literally read it from the inside out. Because that's the way she's speaking it, from her heart. The inside out. Let's read it from the inside out, taking the poetry out of it. And your God, my God. Your people, my people. Therefore, I will go where you go. I will lodge where you lodge. I will die where you die. And there I will be buried. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from you. May the Lord do so to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and I. What's driving Ruth? She found God. She found your God is my God. And as a result of your God being my God, my heart is going to explode all over you. Your people will then all be my people. Your, I will go where you go. I will lodge where you lodge. And I don't care if I die, you die. I mean, it's all going to take place. And all the way through this is about the Lord. Because at the very end, may the Lord do so to me. And worse, if anything but death parts to me, she found God, because she saw it in Naomi. And when she found God because she saw it in Naomi, she responded in this way. She responded in this way. So when you look at this conversion that takes place, which I just love watching conversions take place throughout the Bible. Last week I talked about a conversion that took place where 3,000 souls were saved. The gospel was given. 
Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose. He's your answer. They were pierced to the heart. And as they were pierced to the heart, they said, what, repent, be baptized. And 3,000 people were saved. I mean, just phenomenal conversion. This is the conversion of Ruth. I found God, therefore, everything is structured in my life from here on out. Everything in my life is now structured from here on out. Why? Because I found God. That's the power that is resting in the center of the book of Judges. That's the power that is going to save the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. And that is the power that is going to save us in the 21st century. Sacrifice and commitment. Sacrifice and commitment. I just want to break this up as we're talking about just this specific verse and put it in the context of its power and how it does carry this power. The power of biblical commitment does carry the power to change the world, to change the world around you. But I want to break this passage up in particular. Number one, as a result of our choice to follow God, what takes place? Your God, my God. That's it. As a result of my commitment to follow God, I look at everybody else who follow God and I say the words, your God, my God, that's the way it is. What's the definition of God? The definition of God is the ruler of the universe. The ruler of the universe. What does that mean? It means what God does is right, whether we like it or not. <laughs> Why? Because he's the ruler of the universe. <laughs> I, I mean, we're in a world right now, it's like, you know, well, I don't like hell, so I don't like God. Whoa, 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 you're talking to the ruler of the universe. If you say the word God, he's the ruler of the universe. It doesn't matter what you don't like. It doesn't matter what you do like. He's, he's God. He's right. And when you believe in him, his words are correct. His words carry power. His words carry strength. His words should be carrying you, should be carrying me. And when we put it on the table, your God, my God, we are putting this literally on the table, your God, my God, we can have a conversation and we are on the exact same page. Why? Because your God is my God and this is the words from his mouth. Well, I don't like everything he says. His timing is off. Well, his timing's always right. You know, I talked last week about chick flicks. One chick flick, I memorized a line in the chick flick. It was about a queen. And she said these words. After she was 20 minutes late, she says, The queen is never late. Everybody else is always early. Even if she's 20 minutes late. <laughs> That's the way God is. If God is 20 minutes late, he's on time and you're early. Why? Because he's God. And we put it right here in the center of all of us, and we're talking on the same page. I can go to another country with two different cultures, opposite cultures, and I could pull this thing out, and we can be on the exact same page. Your God, my God, is what carries power. We live in a world where we're asking the question, what is a man, what is a girl? And is that take place? That question is being asked, but we do need to know that that question has not been asked from the beginning of time all the way up to Obama, but it's being asked now. Well, we've got to ask the question, what, is, what does the Bible say about it? I created man and I created woman, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be united as a wife to his wife, and the two shall become what? Shall become 
one flesh. It's in the glorious word of the God who created your God, my God. It carries all the power on the planet. Many people ask, well, since we are living in a new world, are we living in a new era? You know, um, are you going to be doing gay marriage? Is Jefferson Baptist going to be accepting it? And, and um, they should know the answer. Your God, my God. But what about the discrimination that could take place against the church if you don't believe it? Well, your God, my God, is, is the common denominator. And nothing influences the common denominator as the concept of your God, my God, on this page. Well, what if you lose the tax benefits? Well, the tax benefits, they, they, don't, they don't calculate in the, making the decision. It's the only thing that calculates in the decision. Your God, my God, as the solid rock. Because I'm saved by him. Therefore, I believe that what he says is the answer. No matter what happens. No matter what takes place. 1 Kings 8.61 Let your heart therefore be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in the status and keeping his commandments as at this day. Number two, as a result of our choice to follow God, your people, my people. If you do something against me, I have no right to, to not forgive you. <laughs> Sorry, I don't, I don't have any right. I don't, I don't get that option. Your God, my God, your people, my people, but I'm not going to forgive. I, I just don't get that option. If I don't love you, I don't get that option if I say those words. If I don't feel like I love you, I don't get that option. Your God, my God, your people, my people, all of a sudden we're into this knot of commitment. We're into this mold of commitment, of love, of sacrifice, of commitment. You serve, I serve. Your people, my people. Therefore, if you're hurting, I'm going to hurt. If you need service, we're going to serve. This is, this is who we are. This is the strength of salvation to the world. Why is it the strength of salvation to the world? It's because we have a God who sacrificed for us. Therefore, we sacrifice for our neighbors. And as a result, the world will see what? That we are his disciples. That's salvation. And when the world sees his disciples, what are they going to do? They're going to look at the church and go, I cannot believe that church. They've got something in them that is so weird where they would lay down their lives so everybody would live. What is the thing that's in us so weird? Your God, my God, your people, my people. You know what? This is just the, this church right here is just the, the practice of what we do out there. So if I don't forgive you in here, I'm not going to forgive anybody out there. And if I don't forgive anybody out there, nobody's going to find Jesus. Nobody's going to find anything in my heart. This is just a warm-up. Your people, my people. I forgive. There's no other options. I love. There's no other options. I serve. There's no other options. I let go. There's no other options. That's the power of God's body that will change the world. Number three, as a result of our choice to follow God, I will go where you go. We had our missions prayer um, a couple weeks ago, 
And during our missions prayer, we had uh, people that would come in from Zoom. Our missionaries would come in on Zoom so we could talk to them and ask them any questions that we wanted to ask them. Uh, we had missionaries from Ukraine. And uh, so we got to, you know, this is what we're hearing on the news. What's going on in your country? You know, we got to ask them all the questions. They were still in Ukraine at the time. And they were explaining, yeah, our city hasn't been hit yet. There's only two cities that have not been hit yet. And, and they're explaining their situation, explaining that situation. And they're pleading, please continue to pray for the church, that the church would stand strong. And then they gave us a report. Let me explain what's going on with the church in Ukraine. He says that America will bring aid. America will bring weapons and America will bring supplies, but they do not bring it into Ukraine. Because if they bring it into Ukraine, it's going to start everything. They have it right outside of Ukraine, and they call Ukrainians to cross the border and pick it up. And then after they pick it up, they are supposed to take the supplies and take it to the front line. And who is the target in Ukraine? The people going to the front lines with all the supplies. Guess who Ukraine is calling to do it? They're calling the Christians to do it. Why are they calling the Christians to do it? Because if Ukrainians walk up to that border and outside the border and they're supposed to pick up supplies, they're running. (laughs) They run. I'm not going to pick up supplies and turn around and take it to the front line because I'll be shot dead in the process. But the Christians are picking up the supplies. The church is picking up the supplies. The believers are picking up the supplies. And then they start telling us stories. The people from Ukraine are sitting there telling us stories. They said, you won't believe what God is doing. <laughs> I got this awesome comment from this, this church that was actually bringing the supplies to the front line. And said, there was just a fog, almost like the whole way. And across, driving there, the fog, the whole way, we were never even seen in the process of dropping off those supplies. That's what the church is doing in Ukraine. Why? Where you go, I go. It's a power commitment. No matter what the price is. Where you go, I go. And here we can look upon these people and say, they have something inside of us. I look upon those people and say, they have something inside of them. I'm challenged. Because the same God that they have inside of them is the same God that I have inside of me. That's what carries the power. Your God, my God, your people, my people. Where you go, I will go. First Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is working within me. Number four, as a result of our choice to follow God, I will lodge where you lodge. scared to um, go into ministry. The reason why I was really concerned to go into ministry is because you open up the words of God (laughs) and it's intimidating. (laughs) But even the more, not the more intimidating, but the second half of the intimidation of open up the words of God and then giving it to people, it's, it's going to cut people's hearts. (laughs) It just is. And it's going to slice people and people are going to go, whoa, do we carry this? And then there's different beliefs, there's different strategies, there's different doctrines and there's different theologies and all those things. And, and pastors come up and I don't, 
I, I mean, I still can't comprehend what I'm doing, and it scares me to death that I'm even doing it. But I'm taking these words, and I'm saying, I, I, I think, you know, this is the way it is. I only applied for two jobs. I applied for a job at Deaver Connor Community Church. And uh, I did that because God was calling me. I felt calling me to do that. Um, and I applied here. I only applied for, for two jobs. Um, can I apply for three? <laughs> I mean, it's something to think about. I mean, just in the sense that, you know, um, the church needs to grow. Um, it needs to grow. Maybe God will call me to the city, you know, where the church, you know, I just got to do this. God's going to send me, maybe, I don't know. Or, you know, maybe God will, you know, call me elsewhere. Um, ah, I looked at my resume. My resume's not too bad. I mean, just in a sense that I had 10 years um, being a youth pastor. You know what the average rate of a youth pastor is? Is 1.5 years. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. And you know what? I was here for 16 years. That's a good resume in, in regards to, to preaching from the pulpit. I do the salaries for all the church, and, and what we did is we anchored into a, a formula that um, says, okay, what does the churches make, a youth pastor make, and a senior pastor make in regards to this geographical area? And, and then you type it all in and it says, okay, this is what they make. And, and uh, <laughs> I could make a lot more money somewhere else, I just let you know. That it's there. It's there. It took place when I was uh, being called into ministry as there was nobody around except me and God. Just me and God. And then Deaver Connor asked for an application. And they gave 46 questions. 46 questions say, fill out these applications. And, and who is it that fills it out? It's just me and God. I'll read number one question, then I'll read number 46. Why are you interested in leaving your present place of ministry? This is my answer in 2005. I'm leaving my present place of ministry because I have been called to do so. Ministry has always been my passion, whether I'm working on a vocational setting or not. People need the Lord, and it is my heart desire to introduce them to God and to train believers to do the same. This passion has driven me towards the Holy Spirit's leading, and he has led me to full-time ministry. Therefore, I'll pursue the direction until the stirring of my heart has been settled. Number 46. Where do you see yourself in five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and 30 years? This is my answer back in 2005. It depends if I get this job on Deaver Connor or not. If I don't get the job, I see myself in full-time ministry somewhere. If I remain working for the state of Oregon, which I was working for the state of Oregon that time, I was not in ministry, I'll pursue seminary in September of 2005. After seminary is completed, I will wait for God's lead. The 10-year mark will depend on where I took God's lead on the five-year mark. I'm sold on the wisdom and example from the spiritual leaders of our day, which include, at that time, Rick Warren, Chuck Swindoll, Henry Blackaby, Bill Hybels, John DeSango, John MacArthur, John Piper, and Billy Graham. Dig your roots deep, pray hard, and watch God work. Don't venture out from place to place thinking that there is a better job in the next church you go. All of these guys believe that the inconsistency of pastors is the antidote that is killing the American churches of today. Therefore, at my 10-year mark, I plan to be where God led me at my 5-year mark, written in 2000, 
and five. They said no. I ended up here in 2006. So you can ask me a question, where am I going to be in five years? (laughs) Where am I going to be in 10 years? Where am I going to be in, in, in 20 years? When I wrote this, I had a passage in mind. And as a passage, it just scared me to death. This is the passage in Acts 20. Be on your guard, be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Be on your guard for the flock. In other words, you watch out. If I give you responsibility, you watch out for them. The Holy Spirit has given you the position to do it. You don't get the position to do it. The Holy Spirit has given you position to do it. And who are they? They are the ones that Christ purchased with his blood. (laughs) How valuable are you? (laughs) And I'm taking 30 minutes of your time today. The people that God purchased with his blood. Where you lodge, I lodge. That's commitment. Where you lodge, I lodge. That's commitment. On Wednesday, I had lunch with the pastor down the road at the Abundant Life Center. Him and I are are close. Um, He is following a pastor that is Dee's best friend. And he's been there for 40 years. And he's still working at the church too. So Jason Liptak has been preaching for 10 years. I'm following somebody that has been here for 40 years, 40 plus, I believe. And I've been preaching for about six or seven years. So as him and I were talking, we're, we're good friends. We take responsibility for this geographical area. Where you lodge, I lodge. And we're almost smiling at the, the piece of it. It's like, I'm not planning on going anywhere. He says, I'm not either. Because the commitments of what we came before is the strength of the body that takes place in community. It's not about anything else but what? Commitment. Now, don't get me wrong. You can fire me tomorrow. <laughs> I just want you to know that. And I, I'd be able to go. That's, but in my heart, you can't go. The power of commitment. Number five, as a result of our choice to follow God, I will die where you die. Again, the missionaries were talking from the screen, and we had missionaries in Malaysia, and they made a comment that just struck me. I mean, it just just hit me. It was a fast comment that was just said. They said this, it is against the law to convert. They're missionaries in Malaysia. They said, it is against the law to convert. In other words, it's against the law for somebody to receive salvation. I gave the gospel in Liberia. um, And after that, four individuals came forward, and they were from a Muslim background. And as we were talking to them, um, the person that was with me, the African person, was in their face saying, you know what you just did? Your family's going to neglect you. Your family's going to throw you away. You are no longer going to even have a home as a result of your commitment. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down a little bit. No, don't. Maybe, maybe they shouldn't make that, that com- the commitment because the commitment was so costly. In Malaysia, it is against the law to convert. If you convert, your family's going to find out. And as soon as your family finds out what's going to happen, you're going to turn, they're going to turn you in. You're going to jail. 
It's against the law to convert. Rough times. We live in America, so we're going to be all right. We live in America, it's going to be all right. It's never never going to happen. At the end of time, in Matthew 24, it's the end days called the tribulation. What I'm going to read is before the tribulation, but I'm more of a mid-tribulation more than get raptured before. I think we're going to go through it. But these are birth pains that are mentioned in Matthew 24. It says this, this is in the future. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but what? The beginnings of birth pains. It's just the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. What? At the beginning of birth pains, they're going to do what? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and even put you to death. Yes, in other countries. Not America. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then... The end will come. That's future. Maybe I'll die before it happens. But what if I don't? (laughs) Or even worse, what if I'm a preacher (laughs) when it happens? I mean, did we just read that? Nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms. Famines and earthquakes are going to take place. But don't worry. That's just the beginning before you're what? Persecuted. If, if we're being persecuted, what am I going to say? I mean, I just have to, if I'm in Malaysia, what am I going to, what am I going to say? We went through COVID and it was bad. What I mean by bad is I had somebody called, maybe you're related to him. My parents are going to your church. You are a murderer. I'm like, I don't want to murder anybody. I'm so sorry. No, we we just, we tell them to go away. We're trying to make everything work and everything function like it's supposed to. But all of a sudden people are just intense. They're rising. And as people are intense and they're rising in persecution and when people are dying, what does it say about the church in verse 10? It says the many will fall away. They will betray one another and they will hate one another the same way that it took place inside of COVID in the, the whole church, but in that process, it was at such a smaller degree. Because we're just asking the question of, should we go to church or not? I'm not saying that that's a small degree, but it's smaller than we're starting to use of saying, come to church. Oh, by the way, you might get killed on the way. Believe in God, even if somebody threatens your life, don't deny him. We live in a fantasy world living in America. All the way through the history of time, we see the struggles that are taking place, but what takes place to the end? Commitment and sacrifice. The only way you can survive in this world in the end days or before the end days, according to that passage, is to say, 
your God, my God. Your people, my people. Where you go, I go. Where you lodge, I lodge. Where you die, I die. And as everything, according to this passage, starts to split apart, there's going to be false prophets that will grab a hold of those, those that are splitting apart from it. But as they're grabbing a hold of them, they're going a different direction that says those who remain to this word, my God, my God, will what? Will make it to the end and be saved. Number six, evangelism. We do, in evangelism, we do everything in our power to make people believe that Jesus did everything in his power to make it easy for them to walk away. The rich young ruler had come up to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus knew that what he had was going to be an issue. So he said, what? Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. (laughs) Jesus, don't say that. If he says that, he's going to walk away. Make it a lot more softer than that. Jesus didn't make it soft. Why did he not make it soft? Because there's commitment when salvation takes place. There's sacrifice when salvation takes place. There's power and beauty to say, you're God, my God. But I will tell you, you're handed everything over to say, oh my goodness, this is a big deal. It is a big deal. But in the process of being a big deal, it's rich. It's life. It's everything. Ruth looked at Naomi and said, as a result of my God, your God is my God, I will do what needs to be done to follow him. And then she did. Everything that needs to be done to follow Naomi. God, we just um, thank you that we have our, your word at our disposal. God, we can open up the pages of your word and we can hear your voice from it every time we choose to read it. Thank you, God, that we can see your character. Thank you that we can see your love. Thank you that we can see your guidance, your direction. Thank you we can see your encouragement. Thank you, God, that we practically have you when we look at it and when we read it. Just pray, God, for the church in America, the church around the world. That, God, your word would be the center of everything that we are. Knowing that when salvation takes place, my God, your God, everything else falls into place. Thank you, God, for the richness of it and caring about us through it. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.